0: Hey, intrepid listeners. I know that you have come to expect strictly Shadowrun actual play goodness from the Hidden Grid, but we felt there was room for another entry into the Shadowlands as well, and so to kick off our newest feature, I put on my adult pants and sent a message to someone who is involved in Shadowrun as much as anyone could possibly be. I have with me today Mr. Jason Hardy, who is a writer, editor, and the Shadowrun line developer at Catalyst Game Labs. Welcome to the Hidden Grid, Jason. How you doing?
1: Good, thanks, thanks for having me, but I was not informed that pants wore, were a requirement. No, only only pants on what my end. Do. Okay, yeah. Th- then we're good. No worries.
0: <laughs> thanks for being here for our first new Hidden Grid interview series. Uh, before we get started in earnest, would you mind expounding a bit about when you first encountered Shadowrun? And what about it made you passionate enough to pursue a career curating the universe we all love and enjoy?
1: Well, I think my experience is about the same as anyone else's experience in Shadowrun when they saw that cover, the, the first and second edition cover, the Elmore illustration, mm-hmm. and saw elves and dwarves and trolls in and, and cyberpunk land. And that you can have all that together, I was like, well, that's pretty awesome. Um, and so just seeing that cover made me have to look into the universe and look into reading some of the books and then getting the feel of the books and the attitude that they throw at you. I, you know, I knew that this was a place I needed to play. Hmm.
0: I, when I got involved in Shadowrun, it was through that uh, Super Nintendo game, the Shadowrun Super Nintendo game. And so I didn't have anybody to play Shadowrun with uh, way back in the day. Did you actually get to play uh,
1: the RPG quite a bit? Not for a little bit, not for a while after I first heard of it, because my gaming group at the time was more board game focused. Mm -hmm. Um, I certainly played a lot since then, but it took me a little bit of time to get into a game.
0: And were there any adventures, published or otherwise, that really grabbed you or stuck with you?
1: Uh, Adventures, not so much back before I became line developer, because I didn't play through uh, too many published adventures. It was mainly... Uh, Game Master generated campaigns. But as far as campaign material went, uh, Portfolio of a Dragon always grabbed my attention. Every time I opened that book and flipped through it and looked at the massive amount of hooks and just how I could think about planning the campaign based on a single paragraph in that book. I love that book. Sure.
0: I think we're still doing that, right? Looking looking through the book and going, oh, we haven't done anything with that yet. Maybe we could do something with that.
1: Yeah, it's just a massive trove of goodness of good ideas and fun things to play with. Excellent. All
0: right, well, I'll get the interview started in earnest now uh, about the stuff that maybe is a little bit more not personal to you. But with all of the 5th edition core rulebooks complete, uh, Street Grimoire, Chrome Flesh, Data Trails, Rigor 5, Howling Shadows, uh, did I miss any? Yeah. Uh,
1: no, it looks like, you want to see, Run Faster isn't listed on the question you sent me. So
0: oh, yeah, Run Faster. That's another good one. Uh, Anyway, so we have all the core rule books out. Can you tell us a bit about looking, what have been your favorite books or experiences since 5th edition has launched?
1: Well, easily my favorite experience with 5th edition was the day that it came out uh, (laughs) at Origins because we were were working hard to get it there. Um, And so actually we we were getting a couple hundred copies and they were going to be driven in a van from Minnesota to Columbus, and they were supposed to arrive the Friday of Origins. And so we were trying to be in communication with the printer to make sure they'd be there because we really wanted them there. And then uh, our president had asked the van driver to like check in every two hours as he was making his way to Origins because that's the thing he likes to do. Uh, but the van driver didn't do that. And so we got a call at about 6.30 in the morning that he was there. Mm-hmm. He had just arrived in Columbus. And, you know, 6.30 in the morning on a con is, is not a time when you're ready for deep <laughs> thought and planning. Um, so we scrambled up, got ready, and then started looking for where the van was going to be. Uh, so we went down to the exhibit hall, and it was locked. Not even exhibitors could get in there. But we happened to see someone from the Origin staff right there. And so we waved her and said, please let us in, let us in. we got to get through the exhibition hall, back to the loading dock, and find the guy with the van and see where he's driving around and try to get these boxes off of the van. And she let us in because apparently she knew how fixers work in Shadowrun. <laughs> and got us through, and we unloaded them. And right there, back there on the loading dock in Columbus with the sun, still only up a little bit, I opened up the first box I'd never seen of Shadowrun 5 and picked out a copy and hugged it. And it was a wonderful thing. So that was my favorite thing. It was like
0: of a like a birthing experience, just just yeah. taking it all in.
1: Well, of course, it just the, the last minutes never the last minutes weren't easy because nothing is ever easy to get it out. We had to scramble and and nothing was working according to plan, but we just adjusted the plan and it happened. So that that was just fun. It was fun to get it out there, and then when we put it on sale, it it sold faster than we ever expected it to. So it was a lot of fun
0: that day. Sure. And that was, that was your first core rulebook for Shatterman, right? Because you kind of came in yeah. halfway through fourth?
1: Correct. So that was the first one I'd done. So it was uh, nerve-wracking in every way, but really exciting, too. Well, have there been any
0: unexpected successes or maybe a book that you had planned to go one way and ended up being much different than you had in mind?
1: I think uh, one interesting adjustment we've had to make is to the Deep Shadows series of books. Um, so in fifth edition, that's Stolen Souls. And hard targets, and the new uh, cutting aces. Can you explain that,
0: what I what one of those? What is a, uh, a Deep Shadows book?
1: Sure. What the original concept that we came up with was to try to get information on plot and setting and gear all in one book. So you'd have some topical focus that uh, would tie everything together. So in fourth edition, you had war, which had a military theme. You had spy games, which was espionage. Um, and so in fifth edition, we had a chance to kind of rethink how we wanted them to go and what could make them even more relevant or useful to players. And so we decided to go with organizing everything around a type of shadow run. Um, and so stolen souls focuses on extractions, hard targets is on what works and cutting aces is on cons, which makes it very much a resource for faces. And I think the opportunity to think about shadow runs in that way and to try to look at types of runs from all angles uh, allowed the writers to come up with some really interesting tactics, some very cool gear, and some storylines that could really uh, play into the tops in a bunch of different ways. And so it, uh, it was an experiment to try to do the books that way but it kind of unleashed some really interesting creativity from the people who wrote them. And I'm really happy with the way they turned out.
0: Absolutely. Uh, As we speak, I believe that cutting aces hit last week. Is that right? Uh,
1: Yeah, I think that's about right. Or 10 days ago, something like that week or two. And
0: so like, that's again, a a Facebook, you know, we've never seen anything like that before. So that's kind of, that's kind of fun. I really enjoyed that one.
1: It was uh, a lot of fun to think about. Um, I just, was, you know, browsing movies on Netflix last night and I came across the Sting and I was like, well, it's the Sting. I have to watch it and watching the Sting reminded me again why I wanted to do cutting aces in the first <laughs> one because I love everything about that whole scene. I love the setup. I love the execution. I loved adjusting to the twists and turns. It's just so much fun to play with. And, uh, and the, the, there was a lot of enthusiasm in the freelancer pool too. Uh, people who really liked talking about that aspect of Shadowrun and they did some very cool things in the book.
0: So, uh, just stay on Cutting Aces for a second. Uh, the setting for Cutting Aces is an interesting one. It's Istanbul or Constantinople, as it were. Uh, what, draw, what drew you to that particular setting? And why, why that setting for a Facebook instead of, say, Las, Las Vegas or something else?
1: Well, part of it was I wanted to stretch a little bit where Shadowrun settings had gone. Um we had done a lot of North American focus in a lot of the books. So we talked about, you know, of course, Seattle got its own box set. We've talked about Denver a fair amount. DC had gotten some focus. Um and so and London moves us a little out of North America, but not across a broad enough cultural distance for my liking. So I wanted to try to stretch it a little more. And the fact that the opportunity to go somewhere that Shadowrun really hadn't explored in huge detail before was exciting. But if you look at kind of the atmosphere of Constantinople or Istanbul, you know, it's Constantinople in Shadowrun. So I'll refer to it as that, even though that's inaccurate in our modern day. Um, it, it has a lot of intrigue kind of baked into its culture. Um, I mean, on a very negative side, we, we just saw that in current events. Sure. That uh, there's a lot of crap that goes down there. Um, But it's it's always had this atmosphere of kind of deep tradition uh, meshed with emerging modernity and the conflict of those cultures and then the intrigue of the people maneuvering those cultures. And it's got so many beautiful sights to play with. And interesting cultural locations to play with. It just seemed like there would be a lot for faces to do there. And it would also give us a chance to explore something that we hadn't explored a lot.
0: And I think since, since I read the book, I think that the, the writers and, and yourself did a pretty good job of, of interweaving the, uh, the face narrative or the con narrative with the narrative of Constantinople. So good job.
1: Well, we'll pat the writers of the Istanbul Constantinople section on the back. That was mainly Adam Large and Mike Messmer, so good job to those guys.
0: Excellent. Thank you, guys. Um, let me stay on something that you mentioned. You mentioned current events, um, and not particularly having to do with Istanbul in Shadowrun, but um, while I have you here, what do you think, if anything, the role of current events should be or are in Shadowrun? I mean, obviously there's... A lot of overlap because it's in our future or an alternate version of our future, uh, but they're still dealing with a lot of the themes that we are dealing with now or emerging into. Um, do you think that Shadowrun should speak to those, or is it is it a purely escapist thing and we should stay away from it?
1: Why, well, To some degree it can't help but reflect on them because it's going to be on the minds of the people writing the books. Um, everyone writes within their own mind. They can't escape the things that are influencing you and culture around you and politics around you influences how people think and how they write. So it's going to come out in some form. you write What you know. Right. Exactly. Um, I think it's also good to hold up a mirror to society because that's what Shadowrun has always done. Uh, that's what cyberpunk is about at its core is looking at the different ways. I mean, it, people talk about it being about technology, but really in the end, it's what punk is always about, and that's about power and who has it and what those who don't have it can do to grab it. Um, and so Shadowrun has always had that aspect in it, and that's going to reflect on society. Um, I think with any good political art, you want to get it away from something that's making a broad and easy point to something that looks at issues from a bunch of angles and asks the questions that need to be asked um you know for my money the great american political novel is all the king's men which i wasn't sure was going to come up in this discussion but there it is <laughs> um and if you read all the king's men you don't get a clear sense of the author's party allegiance or anything like that. It's not a political novel about parties or uh, about partisan politics. It's about what makes the people who are involved in politics and who are involved in the games of power tick and a good political novel and a good political anything shows you how that works and shows you some of the dynamics of power. So in that respect, I think Shadowrun's got a lot to say uh, when looking at the dynamics of power and how it can be abused and what people can do to take power for themselves. And, and it's, there's nothing wrong with reflecting current events in that way. Um, you know, the minute you start to get too didactic or polemical on either side, it, you not only alienate people, but you, you just aren't making as solid a statement as you could be if you were looking at the nuance and looking at really what's going on behind the partisanship and what the motivations of the people involved are.
0: So trying to stay away from kind of like an easy moralism and giving all the right answers and more towards starting to ask maybe some of the right questions.
1: Right. I think that's a good guideline for any writing that anyone's doing.
0: Excellent. Thanks for that. Um, Reflecting back on 2016, since we're here in December, late December, uh, what was a shadow and highlight for you? a book, a con, a game, you know, what, what would you say is your Shadowrun thing of 2016?
1: Well, it's a funny thing when I think about highlights or, or how the year went, sometimes my mind just gravitates to the things that, uh, rung me out the most where I had to really sprint to try to get something done and hopefully get a good result. Um, and so, so that's a weird kind of highlight because at the end of it, I'm just kind of, you know, lying and wanting to sleep for a whole week. <laughs> um, but that was the sprint to get Court of Shadows done and have it at Gen Con. Um, we, we had a great shift in my time at Catalyst um, from printing our Gen Con books overseas to printing them domestically, which means when I first started, if we wanted a book to Gen Con, we had to send it off to print in like April at the latest. Now we can go to early July. So my 4th of July weekend (laughs) was trying to get as many proofs for Court of Shadows in as I could, making all the comments that I could, seeing what other edits needed to be made, frantically hitting refresh on any browser just in case emails that I really, really, really wanted to come in hadn't come in yet, and uh, staring at proof after proof after proof with that combination of exhilaration at how great— the layout was going because that had a different look than the book we'd done before and how beautiful the Yeah, book. it's beautiful. With, with the absolute stress of, am I going to get this done? Am I going to get this done? Are we going to have this at Gen Con? I don't know if we're going to make it. I don't know if we're going to make it. <laughs> um, so that that was, yeah, that was my 4th of the July weekend. And so I, it's tough to call that a highlight because it wasn't fun, but that book was a ton of fun to read. Sure. And just going through the proofs and looking at what the writers had put in and the cool ideas. Uh, it, it was one of those books where I wanted to set down the text as I was working on it so I could go play a game with the material that they had just put together. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I'm really proud of that book and the effort that the writers put in, but it was also a very harried process trying to sprint that last bit of that book and get it out the door.
0: and that's and that that uh adjustment of having to get something done in july uh i mean puts you right up against con season you know which is pretty big for catalyst so
1: yeah the uh there have been times since the gen con deadline hits not too long after origins where i'm editing stuff for the gen con book while i'm standing in the origins booth
0: (laughs) i know that uh Rusty Zimmerman and I uh, got a chance to read Court of Shadows all the way home from Gen Con. We drove up there together. and So we had a good time with that book and, and over and over again kept saying how, how pretty it looked and how amazing it was. And there was some awesome plot stuff in there as well. So uh, I'll, I'll take that as a, as a highlight, even if it was uh, <laughs> a little bit crunchy for you at the time.
1: Well, it's, it's both. That's the things you remember is the things that you really had to put a lot of effort in, in to try to pull off.
0: So one of the uh, highlights for me this year was Shadowrun Anarchy, and that's uh, apparently, at least in the circles that I know of, uh, people enjoy that quite a bit. Can you speak to uh, how Catalyst and you specifically have heard how people received it and uh, if there's any plans to continue along that path or otherwise build on that success?
1: Yeah, most of what I've heard has been about the electronic version. Um, I haven't gotten a ton of information about how it hits stores because that just happened a week or two ago. Um, but the electronic sales were fantastic, um, and the response from people who are playing it and from people I've talked to has been really good. It, it's, you know, it, it's not going to satisfy everyone because nothing does. But we've seen comment after after comment where this is doing exactly what we wanted it to do, where it's giving people a chance to play Shadowrun uh, without having that huge time investment of prep and without having to worry about all the details of combat. And I don't want to take any way anything away from all the people who like that crunchy, wonderful goodness that is huge 460-page SR5. Sure. Uh, because we love SR5, and, and it will continue to be supported. And for those of us who like to figure out what the exact modifier is when you slide on one knee as opposed to sliding on your rear end or whatever, (laughs) we're going to keep doing that. Um, But it's, I think, valuable to recognize that there are different play styles out there and that there are people who want to play Shadowrun without getting into all that crunchy goodness. And the fact that Anarchy seems to be giving those people a chance to just dive in, have fun, be crazy, and get a taste of the sixth world without uh, the same learning curve is a great thing. and I'm really happy with uh, reviews I've seen, the comments I've seen, and then the sales have also been good. So really across the board, I'm happy with what I've seen about Anarchy.
0: So having said that, moving forward, is, is Anarchy just a one and done, or is there little Anarchy bits that make it into uh, other other books, like plot books, or is there another Anarchy anything coming up?
1: Yeah, no, it's not one and done. There definitely will be more support for anarchy coming out. Um, one of the books that's coming up is a a source book focusing on orcs and trolls. And, uh, there are different cultures that they've built up for themselves in different locales across the world, how they have to deal with how cultures look at them and just a lot of aspects of playing an orc and troll in Shadowrun. And so it's going to be a very, uh, flavor heavy book which will make it just on that useful to anarchy players but we'll also have a lot of different types of characters in there um different archetypes of how you can be an orc and a troll in shadowrun society and so we will stat those up for both fifth edition and anarchy uh, so make sure the shadow amps are compatible with anarchy there'll be qualities in there we'll make them qualities for both shadowrun 5 and anarchy so that book will be a dual purpose book. It'll work for either game. Um, and then I would like to do a character and plot supplement to Anarchy where we throw in more characters and add a whole lot more contract briefs, uh, all focused on one particular type of campaign. I haven't 100% decided what that campaign will be, but I've got a few good ideas about what it'll be. Um, and management has indicated that they are willing to have that go forward, so there should be more Anarchy support in 2017.
0: Nice. Almost like a, a deep shadows
1: for Anarchy. Yeah, pretty much. Um, I don't know if it'll have too much setting information, but at least enough to get you going and enough of the contract brief so you can roll out and get the plots running. Excellent. Uh, what
0: other sort of things can you tell us about what's coming up in 2017? Maybe let us in on any books that are coming up or give a pitch for them.
1: The one I've been working on recently that uh, I get more excited each time I work on it because it it keeps bringing to my portfolio of a dragon and the sheer amount of plot hooks that that had. And that's a book called The Book of the Lost. And it is the companion book to the Sixth World Tarot. We had preview decks of the Sixth World Tarot at Gen Con. And it's a deck of 78 cards with all-new, all-original Shadowrun art by Echo Chernick. Um And it's just not only beautiful art, but it is so layered with puzzles, with motifs that continue from one card to the next, um, and, and just interesting ways to use it in a game that this book is turning out to be just a ton of plot hooks in different ways that you could drop a card on the table and say, here's this, and this is the adventure it fuels. And with 78 cards, that makes, you know, 78 different adventures that can be fueled by this deck, but some of them fuel more than once. So it's just a huge, uh, assembly of weird stuff and plot knowledge and puzzles and fun things to do that it's, I really like this book so far. I'm really excited with how it's going to look and how it's going to turn out and what I've read of it so far. So that will be one of the first ones in 2017.
0: That sounds awesome. Is there any hint as to when we might get uh, the hard copies
1: of the tarot, the actual deck? Uh, It should be early 2017. We had to print those overseas, so there's some shipping time involved but they have been sent to the printer. So last I heard, we were looking at, oh, I probably shouldn't say anything. Oh, oh they're there 2017. <laughs> well, there get, you have it, folks. Exactly,
0: it. exactly early 2017.
1: Exactly, yes. <laughs> uh, and There will be two versions of it. You'll have the, the standard tarot and then a deluxe with special bag and heavier cards and all that.
0: Excellent. And um, speaking of of Meta plot and and how all these threads tie in together. What what kind of feedback do you get from fans about the meta plot? And what I mean by that is, uh, do most people tell you that they run Shadowrun games that take advantage of our incredibly rich background, or do you see a lot of GMs just kind of ignoring the meta plot and doing their own thing and uh, bringing in whatever lore as they see fit?
1: I don't think I've ever seen. A GM that ignores metaplot entirely. There's always something they're pulling in because there's, you know, such a rich background to use. It certainly varies as to the degree that they'll use it. Some people will play an adventure straight out of the book. Other people will read a campaign book or read an adventure and pluck out a character or pluck out a setting or a single plot line and then adapt it as they see fit. Um, and I think that's helped inform some of the shape of Book of the Lost, because I want the book to play into that style of game mastering, so that it really, instead of being an all-or-nothing type book, it has a ton of things that you can pluck out and be interesting elements and then run off in your own direction. Uh, and I think that's what I've seen most game masters that I've interacted with do, is make their own stew, and I just want to make sure they have good ingredients.
0: Excellent. Well, that's probably a good idea. The, not everything's going to fit everybody, but um, for those of us who really enjoy the meta plot and, and try to try to take all of it, in, are there any characters or corporations that we should be especially looking out for in 2017 or 2079, as the case may be?
1: <laughs> um, well, I hate to give spoilers. I, I understand. Um, <laughs> I'm going to ask anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've made it pretty clear that Neonet is not in good shape. And that they are teetering on the brink of losing their AAA status. Um, They have, you know, one golden ticket to keep them on the corporate court and keep them at AAA. And so you're going you, – you should have already seen – different machinations about how people will deal with that circumstance and cutting aces has more material about what people are doing um so i guess that's my main answer look at cutting aces the seeds are there and they will bloom in 2017
0: so lots of uh, power players and and double a corporations looking to uh knock Neonet off of their perch if they're if, they, if that's possible.
1: Yeah, well, there's a very big prize available at a level that hasn't been available to the corpse in a number of years, so they're going to go all out to get it. <laughs> um, so,
0: so kind of going meta-meta plot, if there was any other intellectual property uh, that doesn't belong to Shadowrun, a city, character, technology, a myth, if you could take that from something else and bring it into Shadowrun... What, what would you like to see if you had carte blanche to do whatever you'd like?
1: Well, you know, the tricky thing about that is that, as I mentioned when you asked about when I, would first, when I first saw Shadowrun, is that Shadowrun has so many things uh, that I enjoy that when I think about my other favorite movies or properties, um, I could pretty much do the things I wanted to do. I could just, you know... Just, file off some serial numbers and, and put some of my favorite characters. I'm a huge uh, noir fan, so if I wanted to find a way to put Philip Marlowe into Shadowrun, mm-hmm. that's not hard.
0: No, it's, it's it's almost been done a couple of times.
1: <laughs> yes. That's, I mean, that's the, the harder thing uh, for me would be not to... You know, it wouldn't be so difficult to bring a Philip Marlowe in. It would just be how do I make him as cool as Kincaid? That would be... <laughs> That's the obstacle I have to pay. So, you know, if I want to bring Veronica Mars in, I can do that. I just can't call her Veronica sure. Mars.
0: Sure. But um, but so far we don't have a Superman yet or, or an Incredible Hulk.
1: Yeah, and I guess I'm okay with that. I mean, I like going to superhero movies, but I've never been as big a comics guy or superhero guy as some of my fellow geeks. Um, so... I don't have a huge need to put a superhero in Shadowrun, and I think Shadowrun functions great without superheroes, because we have people trying to make themselves into whatever they can be without uh, radioactive spiders. Nothing against (laughs) Spider-Man.
0: Well, there's something about um, Shadowrun that that anybody who tries to be a superhero wouldn't stay a hero for very long. Shadowrun kind of has a a taint to it that the the worst people have some small good in them, maybe, and maybe the the good people have some taint of bad in them as well.
1: Well, at very least, if someone became a superhero, one of the mega corporations, or possibly all of the mega corporations, would reverse engineer how they got their superpowers and then roll off a hundred superheroes just like them in the next. Years.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then you get uh, that guy, like Captain Amazing from Mystery Men. He's got the the branding all over. Him. <laughs> right. Actually. How many corps own this guy? <clears throat> uh, now, I'm going to switch gears totally and um, and ask you a question that I ask every time I get to talk to somebody uh, high up at Catalyst. Uh, and you may not be able to answer this, but I'll ask anyway. What is the current status of Sprawlgangers?
1: Oh, Sprawlgangers. Sprawlgangers has a great rule set, but it has washed up against the same wall that we've hit a number of times, and that is the wall of minis. <laughs> uh mini manufacturing is a pain sure. and has difficulties and has we have struggled in many different ways to get it right um we've made progress and i can't provide any details right now but there have been in recent months some indicators of uh events that could be substantial progress to getting minis out. Um once that moves forward as I hope it will, then we'll get a lot of Shadowrun minis out, and once Shadowrun minis are out, then we charge into sprawl gangers. So it's just getting that mini process done and figuring out how we can put out minis in a way that makes sense for us and that makes the game affordable to people who want to play it. Once we have that, then we have the game. So hurry,
0: hurry up and wait, everybody. If you're waiting for Sprawgangers, just just hurry up and wait.
1: <laughs> if, if it helps at all, and it probably doesn't, um, I do bring up the topic of minis regularly at our weekly Shadowrun production meetings just so I can be on top of when we'll be able to do Sprawgangers. So I know that away from Catalyst, it doesn't look like there's a lot happening, but if it's any reassurance, it's not forgotten, and I am... I I do keep trying to mention it so that it can move along when it's ready to move along. It's not forgotten.
0: (laughs) That's good. That's good. I am probably one of the biggest uh, fans of of a mini's Shadowrun game, so I can't wait. Um, Jason, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you uh, coming on the Hidden Grid. And uh, hopefully we will be able to have you back on uh, maybe at the end of 2017 – And maybe we'll make that a yearly thing. But uh, thanks for coming on uh, this time. And we really appreciate you and everything that you do.
1: Well, thank you. And thanks for, you know, talking Shadowrun and and writing Shadowrun and getting stuff out there. Uh, It's great to have you guys keeping everyone excited and keeping everyone informed and and nourishing the fan base. So I appreciate it.
0: We do what we can because we love it. Thanks, Jason. Music for the Hidden Grid Metacast and Hidden Grid Classic is like a cross. The song is Kilo, used with permission.